Amen. Children, you can go to Children's Church at this time. And uh, it is uh, certainly a good day to be in the Lord's house. I'm glad that you are here with us to worship uh, together. Uh, if you would, if you have your Bibles uh, with you, if you would turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, we are going to uh, continue to look at the subject of prayer. We have been looking at it uh, intensely over the last couple of months. And it is my hope, it has been my prayer, that your prayer life has increased as we have gone through this. Uh, we have talked about the importance of prayer. We have talked about how you pray. We looked at the model prayer and saw Jesus' pattern for that. Uh, we have uh, looked at hindrances to prayer. We've looked at helps to prayer, uh, what, what God provides for us in order to help us. We've looked at corporate prayer. We've looked at praying for the sick. And so we've looked at all of that. And I want you to understand and know that if your prayer life has not changed since we have been going through this, then you have missed out on what God has been speaking to your heart. You have been disobedient to His call on your life because God wants us all to improve our prayer lives. He wants to communicate with us. He wants to talk to us more. But there is one aspect that we have not talked about yet that needs to be a mainstay in our prayer lives. And in fact, if we leave this part out, we are leaving out one of the, the main emphases, themes, uh, focuses of God in the scriptures. And that is prayer for the lost. God has a heart for those who are lost. Now for those of us who are believers here, we may not think much about that. But if you think back to the moments just before you were saved and that time before then, I think we would probably all be glad that God has a heart for the lost. Because all of us were lost at some point. You know, I've talked to people over the years about their faith and some people have said, well, you know what, I was born a Christian. You're not born a Christian. You are born a sinner. In need of God's grace poured out on you. You're in need of salvation. You're not born a Christian. You may be born a Buddhist. You may be born a Muslim. You may be born some other faith. But you are not born a Christian. You have to come to faith in Jesus Christ. That means that there are many lost people who are out there in the world. That means that God is seeking people to come to Him. And they ought to be our heart as well. Listen, when we look back through the past, we see great people of God who had a heart for the lost. And they were, they were used by God in mighty ways to reach people with the gospel. And one of the reasons God used them is because they had a heart for what God has a heart for. Unbelievers. To come to Him. To be in salvation. To understand what that means. So for example, you had John Knox, the great reformer of Scotland who cried out, give me Scotland or I die. 
It was his heart. Listen, I'd rather die if Scotland's not going to come to Jesus. Then, then I have no purpose. George Whitfield, the great evangelist of the Great Awakening, prayed, Oh Lord, give me souls or take my soul. It was such a passion for him. He says, Lord, may people be saved or just take me out of this place. Henry Martin, the English missionary to India and Persia, saw many people trapped in false religion and he cried out to God, I cannot endure existence if Jesus is to be so dishonored. That was the heart of people in the past as they sought what God sought, people to be saved. And so it ought to be our heart as well. I pray that that is our heart's cry. And in fact, as we get to the end of this sermon today, I pray that your heart is moved in a way like it hasn't been before. It's been my prayer all week for you that we would have the heart of God to see people come to know Jesus. And that we would begin to pray and pray diligently for those who need Him. So, we look at 1 Timothy 2. And in this passage, the Apostle Paul is instructing this young pastor Timothy in how to worship. What is worship? And so he starts this passage dealing with worship. So I want us to look in 1 Timothy 2, beginning in verse 1. This is what God's Word says. I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. For kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good. It pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and to, come, and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying and a teacher of the true faith to the Gentiles. I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or dispute. As we look at this text, I want you to see that there are three elements of praying for unbelievers to come to Christ. Three elements of praying for unbelievers to come to Christ. What are those elements? Well, we see here in the text, first of all, the urgency to pray for the lost. The urgency to pray for the lost. When Paul starts out here on this instruction concerning worship, he starts off by talking about prayer. Now, we, we have a problem with this today. And our problem is, is that we don't really understand what worship is. A lot of times when we think about worship, we think of worship as the singing portion of the service. And what we've just done is worship, and now we're doing something else, but it's not worship. And so you have uh, uh, people who are called worship leaders, who are the ministers of music, but they're called worship leaders. That is a bad title. It is not a proper title, because that gives people the idea that 
what is doing, what is done in the singing is worship, and everything else is not. But worship is so much more than just singing. Now, worship is a part of it. And in fact, I've known a lot of people over the years. In fact, I've known more people in South Georgia and in Central Georgia than in any other place who I have known say this, but they say, I don't like to sing. Don't want to sing. Won't sing. Mostly it's men. I don't, I don't know why that is. You understand that singing is a part of worship. And I don't know whether you're, you know, you're, you're afraid of your voice or, you know, you say, I'm not a good singer. Well, you know what? God didn't say sing if you have a good voice. He just said make a joyful noise. It doesn't matter whether you have a good voice or not. That's why we sing congregational songs. Your bad voice is drowned out, but guess what? It is pleasing to the ear of God. So we ought to be people who sing out to the Lord. But worship is so much more than that. Worship is prayer. Worship, as we're going to see, worship is giving. If you did not give today, if you don't give at all to the church, you're missing out on an aspect of worship. You ought to participate in that act of worship to God. If you are not fellowshipping together, well, that's part of worship. Guess what? When we have our greeting time, when we come in here before the service and after service, the worship's not over yet. We're fellowshipping together. That's still part of worship. As brothers and sisters in Christ. That's worship. We, we do that. And worship is what we're doing right now. You are engaged in worship, I hope. And it's, we're looking into God's Word. So we don't understand what worship is, but it encompasses all of those things. But here I think it's important that when Paul is instructing young Timothy on worship, what does he start with? He starts with the subject of prayer. What does he say? He says, I urge them, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. The very first aspect of worship that he points out to Timothy to bring to the church is prayer. Prayer has primacy here. It is, first of all, it is of first importance. Further than that, he uses the word urge here. He says, I urge you. It's a word that means to urge or exhort or to encourage. Uh, it is a, a, a pressing forward. This is something we must do. I urge you, Timothy. This is what we must do as the people of God. And so this is a necessity that we must have as the people of God. Now, there are seven words in the New Testament for prayer. And four of them are used by Paul right here. So we see here the word requests. That is a word that means your desires, your needs. When you go to God, what do you do? You bring your desires and your needs. And then he uses the word prayer. That's the general word for prayer. That's why they translate it. Prayers. And it's just a general word. And when you come to prayer, whether it's public prayer, private prayer, it doesn't matter. It's just a general word for prayers. You also have to have intercession. These are petitions before God. When you're seeking God. And in fact, the word actually has a connotation of conversing with God. You're having a conversation back and forth with God. You are praying to God, asking, seeking Him. And you're listening for what He's saying to you. And then we have the word thanksgiving. And of course, that means thanksgiving. Not complicated. These are words that we would use for prayer. And he says that this ought to be made for everyone. 
Now, he specifically says here in verse 2, he gives an example. You know, when we're talking about everyone, who are we talking about? Let me, let me give you an example of everyone. And Paul says, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. That, that's an example of everyone. We ought to be thinking about, for example, those that are in charge over all things. Now, why is that important to prayer? We ought to know this more and more as Christians today. This ought to be on our minds. And I think one of the reasons that maybe Paul points specifically to praying for those who are in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness, is that those who are in charge of the government have a lot of influence on how we can worship God. You say, well, wait a second, how, how can they do that? Well, you understand that in this nation at this point, we are free to come and worship in this way. We are free to come here together, but if things continue to change, that's going to change. We're not going to be free to do that. So why is it important to pray for those government officials? It's important so that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Now, we're talking about here praying for the lost. I want you to understand that when it talks about that we may live peaceful and quiet lives, that's not talking about... You just go off by yourself and live the monk's life and never tell anyone about Christ, never talk about Christ. You just live a peaceful life by yourself. No, this is just talking about, listen, we don't want government in control to come over us and to say what we can do and can't do and to put us in prison if we want to worship in, in some uh, way that's against the, the government. We want government to leave us alone so that we can worship God as we need to. And then we can be about God's work. Now the peaceful and quiet lives, I think specifically is talking about the lives that we live for each other. Because you see, a lot of times we're griping and complaining against each other. And Paul says, no, listen, we want to get the government out of that. We want to get uh, make sure that we have peace among us. Then we can worship God in godliness. So that's what he's talking about. Now in case you had any idea that maybe this is not talking about prayer for the lost, look at the next part, verse 3. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. See, that's the heart of God. I, I want you to understand that as we look at this, the reason Paul is urging Timothy in this and he is saying, listen, the heart of God is that all men would be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth is because there should be an urgency in us to see lost people saved. So why? Why, why is it so urgent? Why is Paul here urging Timothy in this? Because do you understand that there are people daily who are dying and going to hell without Christ? Do you understand that? I just want that to sink in for a little bit. And now you may say, well, I don't believe in hell. Well, I can't, I'm not, I'm not preaching that sermon today. But God says clearly there is a hell. And if there is a hell, and what Jesus says is right. There are people who are going to it every day without Him. Therefore, there should be an urgency about our lives. Let me, let me give you some numbers. And, and, and these numbers 
are big, and I, I want you to see it, because I want you to understand how significant the problem is. In America today, there are approximately 325 million people, give or take a few million here and there. About 70.6 people in the United States claim to be Christian. Now, you and I know that there is no way those who are really committed to Christ is anywhere close to 70.6%. No possible way. Not when we see less than 20% of the United States in any church anywhere in the United States on any given Sunday. So it's not, it's not anywhere close to 70.6%. But let's just say that it is. Let's just say that every person who professes to be a Christian is a Christian in the United States. If, if you do the, the math, approximately 6,700 people die on average per day in the United States. 6,700 per day, according to the death rate. That means that 1,970 people in the United States, if their profession is truly in Christ, 1,970 per day in the United States are going to hell and separated from God forever. Now that's fact. That's fact. Let me, let, me give it, let me give you more statistics that shows it's much worse than this. In India, there are 1.2 billion people. 1.2 billion people. And according to statistics, which may be a little off one way or another, 2.3% profess faith in Christ. 2.3%. According to the death rate, about 22,500 people per day are dying in India. And about 22,000 of them are going straight to hell. 22,000. And we sit here, and that has no effect And I want to ask, where is the urgency for us? Why are we so adamant about trying to keep the gospel here? Why don't we have a heart for taking the gospel everywhere. Why don't we have a heart, not just to tell people in Hawkinsville about Jesus, because people in Hawkinsville desperately need Christ. People in Pulaski County desperately need Christ. But people in Georgia desperately need Christ. People in the Atlanta area desperately need Jesus. People all over the northeast of the United States and the northwest and the far west, all the way in California, they need Jesus. But people <coughs> in Southeast Asia need Jesus. And people in China need Jesus. People in Europe need Jesus. You understand, the, the, the task is so great and it's so big, but it, the, the urgency must be there. People are really dying and going to hell. And 
If we truly believe Jesus is who he says he is, and that what he says really takes place, then our heart ought to be praying for the lost. This is what Paul says in Romans 10. This is, this is the heart he had for those who were lost. And he's talking about his own people. Remember, he's out among the Gentiles for the most part. But he has a heart for those who are his own people as well. He has a heart for all people. But listen to, what his, listen to his heart. He says, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Paul says, listen, my people, they're zealous for God, but it's not a true knowledge for God. They don't know Jesus, and they need to know Christ. And so he prayed for them. And Paul had others praying for him as he took the gospel out. He says, pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given to me, so that I may fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in change. Pray that I may declare fearlessly as I should. Paul, he wanted people to be saved because he knew the urgency of the situation. Listen, if we understand the realities of heaven and hell and, and the truth of the gospel, then we will have an urgency to pray for the lost. Secondly, I want you to see the motivation of prayer for the lost. Why should we pray for the lost? What's our motivation? Well, first of all, look, look at verse 3. Now remember, this is a passage about prayer. Paul is teaching Timothy about prayer, starting off as he deals with worship. He says, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men to come uh, to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. What is it that he's talking about that's good and pleases God? He, it's good and it pleases God when God's people come together and pray with requests and prayers and intercession and thanksgiving for everyone. Why is this so important? Why is this pleasing to God? Because God wants all people to be saved. And so Paul is telling Timothy, we have to pray for everyone because God wants all people to come to know Him. He wants them to be in relationship with Him. He wants to walk with them and talk with them. He, he, he wants them to be saved and to be in heaven with Him. That's God's desire. And it pleases God. Listen, 2 Peter 3. Now, we've looked at it a couple of weeks here. But it's so important. It says, the Lord is not slow in keeping His promises. Some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. It's God's desire, and it pleases Him. When people come to know Him as Lord and Savior, what does the Scripture say about what the angels do when one sinner repents? What does it say? It says they rejoice in heaven. There's rejoicing in heaven it's because it pleases God, and He wants all men to be saved. Not only that, look at verse 5. It says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. Now, why is this thrown in here? Why does it say, you know, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus? It's because Paul is emphasizing, do you understand? This is what Paul is saying to Timothy. Remember, Timothy, that you can't know salvation. You can't know God the Father 
unless you come by Christ the Son. There is one God and one mediator between God and men. Only one that you can go through in order to get to God, and that's Christ. In, in a few weeks, team from this church is going to be in Southeast Asia, and one of the things that we're going to see all over are Buddhist temples. And people are going to be in Buddhist temples, they're going to be going, there's going to be these big statues of Buddha, there's going to be little statues of Buddha, and they're all going to be around, and they're going to, people are going to be bowing down, and they're going to be worshiping those statues. You understand that those statues do nothing for those people. Nothing. Why are we there? Because there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. That's why we're there. Why do we need to take the gospel to people who were in Hawkinsville? It's because there's one God and one mediator between God and men, Christ Jesus. Why don't we go anywhere with the gospel? It's because Jesus is the only way. There is no other way. There is no such thing as people, you know, uh, uh, we're all going to the same place, we're all doing the same thing. Listen, the next time somebody says something so ridiculous, as every religion leads us to God, I just want you to ask a question. Here's the question. You may want to write this down. Here it is. Really? <laughs> ask them if they really believe that. Do you really believe that that's the case? Because there's no way that that can be the case. You know what Buddhists say? Buddhists say that you can't get to God or Nirvana or whatever you know, that their, their uh, you know, perfect peace is, unless it comes through Buddha. What do, what do Muslims say? Same thing, right? You can't come to God through Jesus. You've got to be through Muhammad. It's got to come to their God in their way. It's, and in fact, it's all by works. It's all by things that you do. Listen, there's no way that it's all working our way to the same place. Jesus is the only way. And his sacrifice meant something. It was significant. Look at verse 6. Who gave himself as a ransom for all men. He gave himself up as a ransom for all. He paid the price for your sins and mine. It cost him something great. Now listen, if you really believe that. Now I know we sit here and we say, oh yeah, I believe Jesus is here between God and man. Absolutely. Jesus is the only way to heaven. John 14, 6. Jesus is on the way truth, and the life. No name comes to the Father but by me, and we say, Amen, I believe that. And then we leave here, and we do not pray for the lost. We do not speak to the lost. We don't even think about the lost. Now, if we really believe Jesus is the only way to heaven, don't you think practically that's going to change how we live? It should. Shouldn't it? Listen, I, I have a prayer book, and, and I encourage you to do this, because I because if you just try to remember the, the requests, you're not going to remember them. I, I've got a pretty good memory. I, it's, I don't have like an eidetic memory where I can remember everything. It's not that good. But I don't know of any of you who have that either. 
So you probably need to write down the prayer requests or you're going to forget them or you're, you, you may pray for them over a couple of days and then you're going to lose it. So you figure out a way that works best for you. Put it in your phone. Put them in your notes in your phone. I don't care how you do it. Get a book. I've got a little book I can stick into my pocket. I can carry it wherever I go. I like to do that. Some people have a big notebook. Whatever you want to do. Some people do note cards and they put it on note cards. I don't care what you do. But whatever you do, put the prayer requests down. And you need to put down the names of those you know who need to be saved. And you need to pray for them daily. You know why? Because there's one God, one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. And it, unless they come to Jesus, they will not be saved. That's why it's so important. Third. I want you to see the effect of prayer for loss. What happens when we pray for loss? What happens when prayer is the center of our lives? When we, we are focusing on praying for those who need Jesus. Because we believe what this scripture really says about who Christ is. Look at verse 7. Paul says, and for this purpose I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying. The reason Paul says that is because there are some people who said, you're not an apostle. You're not really a herald of God. And Paul says, yes I am. God called me to this. Christ himself called me to this. He says it was for this purpose. What, what purpose? It is to, to take the gospel to all men because God wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. It's because Christ is the one mediator between God and men that he was called to this purpose as a herald. This is what will happen when you begin to pray for the lost, if you begin to pray for a lost people, one of the things that happens is that your heart will change. You were expecting me to say that people would come to know Jesus. Well, guess what? I'm going to come to that. But before that happens, your heart will be changed. You know one of the reasons we don't even think about lost people who are around us? We don't think about people who are in our our jobs that we work with that don't know Jesus. We don't think about neighbors who don't know Jesus. We don't think about family members who don't know Jesus. We, we don't think about that. One of the reasons you don't think about it is because you don't pray about it. And if you will put it down and you will put them on a list and you will begin to pray, then that will be on your heart. And it should be on your heart because it's on God's heart. And so you will begin to change. It's impossible to pray for the lost and not have a heart for the it's just impossible. But you know what? I think that's why so many maybe don't pray for the lost. Now maybe this is subconscious. Maybe, maybe it's conscious, a conscious decision. But I think that there are many people who, who think, you know what? If I pray for the lost, I know what will happen. God will change me. And if God changes me, then that means I may have to actually tell someone about Jesus. I may actually have to talk about Jesus in a normal conversation. And that scares me to death. I don't want that. So you don't pray for the lost. You remember what happened to Jonah? God told Jonah, Jonah, I want you to go and I want you to speak my word to the Ninevites. And Jonah says, I know what will happen. You'll have compassion on them. They'll repent and you'll have compassion on them. I don't want to go. And remember what Jonah went through. Listen, no matter what the results are, we need to be praying for the lost because God calls us to do that. He calls us to pray for all men because God wants all men to be saved. 
And so your life will begin to change. You know, there are many people who say, how can I be a witness for Christ? Listen, if you want to be a witness for Christ, it will start with prayer life. Listen, I remember when I was young, I remember this so vividly, it happened so many times. I remember sitting in a service just like this and hearing someone standing by a pulpit just like this one and being so convicted that they said, listen, we need to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. In your conversation, would you bring up Jesus? Would you talk about Jesus? Would you talk about what Christ has done for you? And would you tell people uh, about that? And I just remember sitting where you are and being so convicted because you see, as a, as a child, as a teenager, as a young adult, I was so shy. I was so shy. And just for me to break out of that was so difficult. And I convinced myself, I'm just too shy to do that. You know, what other people can do that, but I can't do that. I, I just don't have what it takes to do that. And I was completely wrong. You know what I was really telling God? God, I want to obey you, but I don't want to obey you enough that it inconveniences me and makes me do something that I don't want to do. So I ask you, is that what you're saying to God? God, I want to be used by you, but I don't want to be used by you enough that I actually have to change my life and be different. That's what God calls us to be. Listen. When you begin to pray for the lost, you will have a heart for the lost. And as you have a heart for the lost, then you will be sent to the lost. That's why Paul says, and for this purpose, I was appointed as a herald and an apostle and a teacher of the true faith to the Gentiles. It was because God worked in me and I saw the heart of God and God sent me out to the Gentiles. You remember, Paul didn't immediately go to the Gentiles. Paul wasn't like immediately a missionary. We sometimes lose that in the text. It was probably about 15 years or so between the time he was saved and the time that actually the church in Antioch sent him out as a missionary. But Paul began to listen to the Lord and speak to the Lord and God began to change his heart so that Paul could say, like it says in verse 8, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or despair. He wanted people everywhere to be able to come to God and to speak to God and to see the glory of God. You know, we need to pray because lost people need to come to know Jesus. And you understand there is a spiritual battle that they are going through that we can't see, but it's happening. Listen to 2 Corinthians 4 for this. is what Paul says to the Corinthians. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Why is it that so many people just can't see? They just can't see Christ. They can't see the need for Him. Maybe you you have stepped out and you shared the gospel with people, and, and that person just doesn't see, and you just say, well, I don't understand. Why can't they see it? Listen, it's because they have been blinded. Now, how can the blinders be taken off? How is it that they can come to the point of seeing? It's not through your excellent oratory skills and ability to explain the gospel in a way that is clearly understood. That's not it. The way that they can be open to the truth is by the power of God 
that comes into their lives and opens their eyes to the truth. You understand? That's how you saw it. Because your eyes were blinded at some point. Why didn't you come to Christ earlier? It's because your eyes were blinded and then Christ came in and he pulled off the blinders so you could see. Listen, we're in spiritual warfare. That's why prayer must be essential. That's why prayer walking in our community is something that is needed. The prayer walking, why can't I just pray at home? It's because when you go out, you are praying on site with inside. Right, Miles Mission Team? On site with inside. That's what we've learned. You are on site and you're seeing the people. You're seeing their homes. You're seeing where they live. And you are praying. God, save these people. Prayer for the lost ought to be something that's on our heart. Why? Because Christ commanded. Prayer for the lost ought to be something that's on our heart because we want others to experience the joys of heaven like we're going to be able to experience. How selfish is it for us to keep that to ourselves? How selfish. We ought to pray for the lost because God wants His glory to be known all throughout the earth. You know what? I, I have to admit to you, for a long time, I didn't understand God's glory. You know, when the scriptures talk about God's glory going to all the earth, I didn't understand. What, what does that mean? I, I just didn't understand. I mean, the word in, in Greek means, you know, glory or fame. But let, let me explain it to you this way. We're in the middle of uh, an election cycle, right? I mean, we can't get away from elections that are out there. What is it that in the presidential elections, that those who are serving in either the uh, Hillary Clinton camp or the Donald Trump camp, what are they trying to do? What is their purpose? It is to get out the name of their candidate to everyone so that everyone in the United States who can vote understands what that candidate stands for, what they believe, what they're going to do in office, and how they're better than someone else, right? Yeah, but isn't that what we're seeing? That's why we're seeing the television commercials and we're you know, getting the, the telephone calls that are talking talking to you about you know those types of things. And you say, why do I have to hear all of this? And you're seeing debates and all of that. Because they're trying to get the word out. They're trying to get the word out. Listen, this is what we want. We want the name of Jesus to be taken everywhere in this world. We want the name of Jesus to be taken to every home in Pulaski County. We want the name of Jesus to be taken to every single ear in Georgia. We want people to give praise to God. No matter whether they live in this place or on the other side of the world. Why? Well, where our presidential candidates are not worthy of the glory that they are receiving our God is worthy of all glory. And he is, he is worthy to have all people of the earth bring praise to his name. He's the only one who is worthy of that. And God wants his glory to be known. Listen, that's what we're talking about. That's what we mean. When we see people saved, listen, God is glorified because there are more people who are praising His name, more people who are worshiping Him. His name is known in someone else's heart. 
And then that person will hopefully tell someone else. And then God's glory will spread there. And we hope that the glory of God would spread all throughout this earth. And the whole world will know the glory of God. That's what we're after. That's what we should seek with every breath that we have. That's why we pray for the lost. It's because we want God's glory to be known throughout the earth. And if that's not your heart. That's not where you are. And I would call you to repent. Turn to Jesus and seek His glory. Because His glory is what is best for this world. His glory is what is best for you. His glory is what is needed in this sinful place in which we live. And if we hold it back, if we keep it to ourselves, if we are not even willing to pray, for those who need Jesus. Then we probably need Jesus ourselves. Would you pray with me? Father God, I just pray that you would speak to our hearts. I pray, God, that you put on our minds and in the very depths of our being to pray and to diligently pray. For those who need your son Jesus. Lord I can think of so many right here in Hawkinsville. Right here in this county. Who desperately need you. God speak to their hearts. Use me. Use me to speak to them Lord. Use other Christians. Use those that are here to speak your word. To them, Lord we know that you want all people to come to you. Speak to their hearts. Unveil their eyes to see the truth. God, help us as Christians to pray, to pray, and to pray, to be diligent in prayer. Because we know your heart is for people to come to know you. Help us to not only believe it in our minds, but believe it with our actions. That there is one God, that's you, Lord. And there is one mediator between God and men, and that's you, Christ. And Lord, help us to know that to such an extent that we want people to know the name of Jesus. Help it to be real in our lives. God, I pray for the person that's here. And I pray that they would come to know your son Jesus if they have never received you. Lord, in a group like this, I know that there's probably someone who needs your son. God, speak to their hearts. Remove the blindness. Help them to know the truth of your word. Help them to know that Jesus died for them. Lord, help us as a church to be a people who cry out to you for the lost. Lord, give us Hawkinson. Give us Hawkinson for your glory. Then, God, you will begin to say, we know that's what takes place. We know that you will work and answer the prayers of your people because that's your will. Lord, work in this invitation time. You use it for your glory and your praise and your honor. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Listen, in our invitation time, if you need to know Jesus, I'm down here. I want to stand and begin to sing. Would you come talk to me? I, I want to talk to you about Jesus. It, it, I desperately want to do that. If you don't know Jesus, come talk to me. Listen, if you if you know Christ, it is, it is my prayer, and, and most of all, that you will just make a commitment that you will begin to pray. For those that you know that are lost. Make a list. Put it in your billfold. Put it in your purse. 
put it somewhere where you're going to see it. I don't care what you do, what method you use, let's start praying for the lost. And I know, I believe with all my heart, because God's word says it, that it is his desire to bring people to himself. You think God's going to answer our prayers when we begin to pray for the lost? I guarantee you. Let's begin to do that. Make that commitment today. If you're not a member of this church, you want to join this church, you come down and talk to me. Take care of all the details. You want to pray here at the altar, you can do that. Pray where you are. Whatever God wants you to do, now is the time that the Holy Spirit is leading you to follow Him. Make that commitment when you follow Him in this time. Let's stand together as we begin. Thank you.